frankly. Sure. Out of my food groups of the day. Yeah. I've skimmed a bit on fats. Okay. So. You're making up for lost time with your cheese and yogurt. You got to get some good, some dairy in there. Yeah. Get my proteins, get my vitamins, you know. Oh, that's where you're getting your proteins and your vitamins? <laughs> uh-huh. All right. You couldn't just like eat a, eat a little piece of chicken or maybe like have yourself a, a green vegetable? Oh, I had, I had chicken. Oh yeah, what'd, what'd you have for dinner? Mm, haven't had dinner yet. It's too early. What'd you have for lunch? Sandwich. Wait, so you're telling me your pre-dinner snack is a like a, a twenty ounce cheese and bowl? yogurt? Oh my god, it's disgusting. That's it's offensive. It it's it's vulgar, is what it is. How? How? It's too much dairy. It's too much dairy. I know I'll be vindicated in this. Um, Do you like eating a bowl of ice cream? Maybe. And at the end of the night, and you know what? I actually haven't had ice cream probably six months. Well, okay. But a lot of people in the world have. I guess the thing, yeah. Well, having people in the world is no more dairy than having a bowl of ice cream. A lot of people in the world have let themselves uh, slip into despair and objection in the past year or so whereas i have sharpened my mind because they're and my babies. body yeah you're the one eating the yogurt and cheese i haven't sharpened my body i never made that claim <laughs> no but you're a baby too then i'm uh, i'm a with a man's mind oh my God. you're look you're trying to go uh grizzly mode what's his name kirikos grizzly the you're trying to yeah, go big Kyriakos, yeah. yeah i'm trying to go kirikos <laughs> you're, you're trying to be like 500 Which, pounds, but just like immovable. Maybe we should start the pod. Yeah. I think we should start recording because we got to get into Kyriakos Grizzly. I mean, we're recording now. We can get right into it. Ah, okay. We're already recording. Well, yeah, yeah. In any case, Kyriakos, do you know what? Do you want to know what that is? What is what he's named after? No, what's he? I, I thought that was his just, I thought that was his, uh, his name. So in Greek, okay. Uh, it's, it's common to, no, not common, but it's uh, it's not uncommon, let's say, to name your, uh, for children to be named after the days of the week. Oh. So, <laughs> so Kyriakos Grizzly, his name is uh, Sunday. Cool. Cool. Sunday Grizzly. All right. Love that. That's how it would be translated is Sunday. Because Kyriaki, Kyriaki is Sunday in Greek. And okay. also, I've 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 heard the name Paraskevi, which is Friday. Okay. I've never I've never heard of anyone named Saturday, but there's a writer or a singer named Friday, Friday something. Is there any reason for that, or is it like? Um, no, it's well, just just like we do uh, seasons. Like you'll sure. meet someone named April and May. Yeah. Well, those are months, yeah. but. Yeah, sorry, autumn. autumn. I was gonna say because you do you do meet people named summer. autumn and summer. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So seasons or months, excuse me. So autumn, autumn and summer, or April and May, June, July. I don't know, August. Yeah, September to, maybe not. I'm trying to find me a real uh, November ass mommy. <laughs> um, I I get it. This would be a cool episode if um. If a friend of the pod, Gustavo's uh, ESL students wanted to wanted to jump in, this would be a fun one to to really dive in headfirst. 
talk about naming yeah 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 we'll get into that in a second no but the the days of the week make a little more sense because it's the same with how um what aren't most days of the week in different languages correspond i mean maybe in greek maybe not but they correspond with like a a god isn't that usually Mm. how it works Mm. or or some kind of like astrological sign so to name someone after i mean at least in english yeah isn't too far-fetched isn't like you know yeah it doesn't it doesn't seem beyond the pale uh, anyway, English, we're about... I believe, is derived from uh, Norse. English is? I don't remember. Yeah. Oh. I... Well, wouldn't we have more, like, um, Nordic words in our vocabulary instead of more, like, Latin roots and Germanic roots? Uh, well, right. But uh, we, I think, in English, they got the days of the week from German, mm-hmm. which whose, whose days of the week are based on the Nordic gods oh i did not let's know. just let's just fact check that really quick okay yeah because we're gonna otherwise we're gonna have too many emails um <laughs> telling us what we did wrong <laughs> exactly yeah i mean otherwise, i don't even well, want to i don't just, even i'm wanna... just trying to fact check it so that we don't have anybody uh yeah i mean i don't even and immediately stop listening to it and never listen to it again <laughs> yeah i didn't want to really get into it but i mean we we've just recuperated from the amount of hate that we got for saying that the uh, aqua Sox were a double a team and not a a advanced team versus the rangers triple a and i don't you know i don't even want to like get into the kind of vitriol that was was foisted upon us was was dropped right. into our um david foster wallace and gromit at gmail.com inbox right right but um once you've once you've gone ahead and fact checked that we do have a couple mailbag uh questions to get into a couple a couple bits of correspondence from our, our good friends and listeners uh, again for everyone listening this is uh welcome welcome uh once again to david foster wallace and gromit the only officially unlicensed infinite just fan cast uh, i'm jared with me as always is steve here to discuss um culture at large uh, a novella of our choosing, and of course, our weekly selection of uh, David Foster Wallace's seminal classic, Infinite Jest. Uh, Steve, where are we on the um, English language <laughs> <laughs> root formation, etymology, what have you, uh, fact check 2021? <laughs> We're getting there. Okay. We're on our way. This is a lot of fun. You know, I found myself in a real rabbit hole the other day because I we watched this movie, this documentary called Mayor about the current mayor of uh, Ramallah in Palestine, in the West Bank. And um, really, and I just, I just watched um, the Carlos the Jackal biopic, and uh, who was a, a, he was part of the military wing of the PLO, or at least began as part of, uh, he was an operative under the military wing of the PLO, and then kind of went out and did his own. For our listeners who are, who are well-versed, I, did, I was not, but for our listeners who are well-versed, they'll know he went on to be a sort of a hired gun, hired revolutionary, or, or supposed revolutionary, I guess, more just like a mercenary forest or, a, or later in his career, more of just a, a regular uh, carte blanche terrorist. But, uh, but it was just interesting having, having gotten these couple pieces of media. And then I started really going down the rabbit hole, reading about uh, the PFLP, the PLO, Black September, about um, uh, what's his name, Yasser Arafat, about what, what kind of stuff's been happening in the West Bank and in, in Gaza for the past, I don't know, 50, 60 odd years. Just doing a little, doing the work, you know, doing the work, as they say. Steve, where are we on uh, English language etymology 2021? All right, you guys, uh, you guys ready for this? So Sunday, believe it or not, is derived from Sun's day, as in the sun. Yep. 
in both West Germanic and North Germanic mythology, the sun is personified as Sunna. Yeah. So, uh, well, because that's the thing. They say Saturdays are for the boys, but actually it's uh, Sundays are for the, they're, they're for the sons. Yeah. It's sort of well, the yeah. boys, boys day. Monday, mm-hmm. believe it or not, moon's day. Yep. North Germanic mythology, the moon is personified by money. Mm-hmm. Money. I'm talking moolah, guacamole. Yep. 20 money one. You're the bag chaser. <laughs> day of the bag chaser. Well, right. That's Monday. Mm-hmm. So Tuesday, Old English. Tuesday, Daig, Tuesday, meaning Tuesday, T I W, the day of T I W, which in Norse is Tyr. Yep. Uh, and so that's a North myth- mythology thing related to the Latin day of Mars. We've sort of got um, uh, a, a Money's Day, Tears Day, Happy Days situation. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then Wednesday, Woden's, mm-hmm. Woden's Day. Yeah meaning the day of the Germanic god Woden, also known as Odin, I guess. Okay. So there you go. Okay. Odin's day. Sure. So that's how we got Wednesday. Odin is a widely revered god in Germanic mythology, North mythology. Okay, well, I don't know what to tell you. Thursday is... I don't have a riff for that. Yeah, let's get into Thursday. Thursday means thunder or thor thor's day in okay. finnish torstai german donnerstag it feels Dutch, like they were kind of running Donderdag. out of concepts if you have money money day uh two tuesday tears day and then you just get an odin thor day and it's like well all right that's right you know mm-hmm. yeah dave jupiter so thor i guess is jupiter mm-hmm. friday anglo-saxon goddess frig frig's day so Frigg's Day, Friday. And for that, Venus. I just want to give I want to give a quick shout out to friend of the pod, uh, John Cole, uh, who oh. many who many know has a has a cat named Frigg. Fun fact. Oh boy. And let's get into what's what do we got for Saturday? Uh, well, I'll tell you that I just I just want to say naming your cat after a swear word is probably not a very good idea. Yeah. And I'm I'm referring to the F, F word being substituted with. F-R-I-C-K or F-R-I-G is sort of... Well, know, actually, it's, F-R, it's F-R-I-Q-U-E. Well, yeah. yeah. in any case. And uh, Saturday is named after Cronus, father of Zeus, blah, blah, blah. Anglo-Saxon's rendering is Saturn's day. Yeah. The day of Saturn. Okay. Imagine okay. that. E- easy to do so. In German, I guess it used to be. Uh, <laughs> in German, it used to be Sunday Eve. <laughs> oh, fun! I guess it used to be Sunday Eve. So <laughs> that's every a, week was yeah. Sunday, and then Sunday's Eve. That's a little reckless. It, I think it would that opens up the the doors to a really interesting convention that I think we should implement here in the Western world, at least, and maybe now moving into Twenty Money One, where you have um maybe a naming convention built around like monday is five days before the weekend tuesday is four days before the weekend three days you know three days two days one days and then saturday sunday is one 48 hour block referred to as the weekend would work i think that would do it i think that would i think i think that would maybe you know get a lot of people psyched like we would say today is january 24th the weekend 
And then tomorrow would be January 25th, five days before the weekend. I mean, or Monday, Monday could be post weekend. Oh, okay. Well, so I guess that opens up another door where we have the weekend, then we have one day post, two day post, three day post, and then one day pre, two day pre, no, the three weekend. day midweek. Three, three days midweek. Uh, yes. That's the so only have, that's the only other name today. It so goes, you have you have post weekend, double yep. post weekend, midweek. That's just called pre-weekend, Wednesday. Weekend, pre-weekend. No, no, sorry. Post weekend, double post weekend, midweek, double pre-weekend, pre-weekend, weekend. Yes. So think for a second. Well, you know what you do? You call midweek hump day. And uh, hold on. So we have, we have, okay, it goes weekend. Can I ask something? Yeah, what's up? Why is that? Is that getting, only Wednesday? You're getting over the hump. Yeah, it's only oh, Wednesday. On Wednesday's the hump. Yeah, it's midweek. Like a hill? Yeah, like Why a hill. Why is it hill day? Because it's all downhill from there. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Okay, so why, so, do you, why do you call it hump? You don't say it's all down hump. You go like this. You go, you go, Monday is, well, is, um, is don't talk to me before I've had my coffee. Tuesday is the second worst day. Wednesday is hump day. Thursday is it's all downhill from here. And Friday is TGI Friday. And then no. the week, the weekend is a 48 hour block. Or Friday is wine therapy should be mandatory on Fridays. Yeah, no, that no, you know what then it is? It is once again, don't talk to me before I've had my but now it's a coffee. It's wine. Ah, yes, yes. I like that. Let's and see if we can Saturdays, simplify this. Saturday morning is live Saturday evening is laugh and then all of Sunday is love. Yeah, let's see if we can kind of maybe maybe Monday is now coffee day. Tuesday is worst day. Wednesday is hump day. Thursday is hump day. That's where you go to the gym. Oh, it's pumped. Yeah, okay, Thursday is pump day. Friday is wine that's day. Where you want to go to the gym and get, you know, get a pump in before you hang out with your bros on Friday. Right. Well, everyone, ev- all the real heads know that the weekend starts on Thursday. Yeah, because Friday, okay. look, when I'm look, when I'm sitting at my at my, uh, you know, my my neolib tech job, and I've got the beer on tap. You know, I've got the foosball going in the break room. I've got the cornhole going on the rooftop patio. You know that Thursday, I'm saying, I'm, I'm going to be a little bad. I'm going to pour myself a, a nice big, like, 16-ounce draft pour of this double IPA before I get back to coding. And you know the weekend's starting now. Dang. You know it. Come on. When I'm, sit- when I'm sitting in my cubicle and I'm listening to some a four-hour trance mix, and I'm just geeked off the monster oh. energy. It's time to it's time to pour me that big double IPA, kind of pull that beanie back down on my head, fix my Rick and Morty T-shirt. I said I'm getting back to work. Listen, these are a lot of things that I probably just don't understand, reference-wise. But <clears throat> it sounds okay. Yeah, I guess it sounds don't like know. something. Rick I, I mean, it Rick feels like you're. You're uh, losing steam. I don't know if you recall, but David Foster Wallace and Gromit, the only officially unlicensed anti-tech worker podcast. We said it on the very first episode, oh. and here we are, episode 36. Was any of that related to tech workers? Yeah. A four-hour oh, okay. trance mix, putting on my Rick and Morty t-shirt, drinking one of oh. those big beers in one of those like sterile offices where you don't have any health insurance, but they say it's okay because you have a foosball table and beer on tap. I don't know. I've never been inside something you've been, like that. So I been, think I'm a bit behind. You've been gone too long. Your sort your uh, sojourn in the desert has lasted a, a bit too long. Well, I, I, I must say I don't take umbrage with uh, 
any type of worker per I se. Do. So, well, right, right. <laughs> you're you're perfect, perfectly entitled to. I'm. Yeah. I just like to take a bit of a bit more of a, um, you know, this year. This year oh, is a year okay. of being silly. I thought it was a year of positivity. Uh, maybe not so much positivity anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. That fell through. But yeah, almost immediately. As far as, but being silly is something that we can all get behind. Mm-hmm. And by we, I mean both of my personalities. Yeah, yeah. Maybe sort of a, a 20 goofy one. Sure. And then you know what that opens up the door to? 20 goofy two. The year continues. Exactly. 20 goofy three? Yep. Or, or then 20 you, goofy the third? Then you, I mean, look, they don't want to hear me say it, but 20 goofy four, and then the subtext is this is getting out of hand. No, 20 goofy four, the subtext is ever after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> goddamn. All right, here. So yeah, uh, let's. Yeah. In any case, let's uh, let's get into our mailbag for this week. So last week, yeah, or last episode, because um, we're 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 cranking these bad boys out. We're addicted to reading. They don't want to hear me say it. Um, we requested emails from our loyal listeners, from the real heads, from the real grommet heads out there, and we said we want to after our long, sort of polemic on I don't know, or against um homogeneity and and then you know localization of food and culture you know on and on and on and on we went we went you know uh h-o-g h-o-g-w-i-l-d um sure yeah we got yeah when it was a little too um but it doesn't matter anyway yeah we got a we it's my fault. I, I take responsibility for it because I kind of brought it up and it, it's an interesting thing to think about. It's a, it's a, it's a nice little mental exercise, but maybe we should have left it after one or two sentences and then let people kind of get into it on their own. I guess my issue is that in the ad copy for the week, Nabisco said they wanted a, a quality thought experiment. And I just wanted to make sure that we gave them their money's yeah. worth. So we gave them a 30 minute ad read thought experiment, a hybrid as part of, and people, we, we might not have been too explicit in this. David Foster Wallace and Gromit is no more. Um, we've divorced ourselves from the brand. Long live uh, David Foster Wallace and Gromit. Welcome instead to Local Flavor. This is a podcast, a co-production podcast uh, done by sure. David Foster Wallace and Gromit LLC and the Nabisco Snackworks uh, Joint Corporation. Now, right. going into this new era for the podcast, we'd like to check the mailbag and read a couple emails. We first have one. Let me go ahead and pull this up. We first have one from our dear friend, um, friend of the pod, Muhammad Hussein. Uh, this was received three days ago, Thursday, January 21st. Uh, simply put, and I believe I believe this is in relation to um, the local flavor request that we said, you know, dear listeners, please hit our email with, um, you know, something that you currently enjoy in your home country or wherever you might be from, uh, a little bit about maybe a food or a drink or, or some kind of cultural signifier that that you'd love to share with us. And that, you know, per- perhaps, um, you know, if available here in the US, we could get our grubby little hands on. Anyway, Muhammad says, <clears throat> again, this was um, Thursday, January 21st, 627 AM, three days ago. It reads, I have an perfo- um, excuse me, I have an proposal for you. Regards, Muhammad. <laughs> Uh, 
And I just want to say thank you so much for that email. We love any sort of correspondence from the real grommet heads out there. Um, it means so much to us to hear that we have such a loyal fan base throughout the world that is chomping at the bit to interact with us, to, to tell us how they feel about the podcast, <laughs> how they feel about the podcast and uh, how their day-to-day is going. You know, we love our fans. They, we, we wouldn't have the podcast without, <laughs> without them. And it just really means the world to us. Anyway, moving on. Thank you again, Muhammad. I uh, really appreciate that. Steve, anything from Muhammad? It's just something so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just, I clarify. I yeah. was laughing at something else. I was checking memes while Jared was doing his, his phone. I was looking at silly stuff from Star Wars Episode One and really getting into the weeds with Star Wars goofs. And I, uh, so I didn't quite catch that. What was the email again? Yeah, let me go ahead and read that to you one more time. <clears throat> You know what? While I'm while I'm pulling this up, really disappointing that we haven't heard from Damon Money. Damon, if you're out there, we would love to know your local flavor. Um, it's very important to us that we're able to stay in contact with our loyal listeners. Anyway, once again, uh, thank you once more to uh, to Muhammad. This was sent on Thursday, January twenty first, six twenty seven a.m. It reads, <clears throat> "I have an proposal for you. Regards, Muhammad." Steve, any comment that on that? Good. Oh, okay. So I just wanted to. Say thanks again. Thanks, Mohammed, for the uh, and what what was his full name? Mohammed uh, Hussein. Mohammed Hussein. Well, yeah. thanks very much for that for that message. Uh, basically, my reply is sounds good. Sounds good to that's me. That's what that's what I would that's what I would say in response is sounds good. I so appreciate. Again. It. Yeah, we really again. appreciate it, and uh, I'll I'll try and pay attention. I can't get distracted being on my phone and stuff like that so i apologize to the listeners i was just uh yeah just a little sidetracked checking text messages to uh, you know related to uh work and things like that and i just you know out of instinct you you end up opening uh silly news articles and things like that and then it turns into memes and i'm sure you understand how that is of course go down the rabbit hole and it's hard to uh hard to regroup so I get a little distracted sometimes, but I'm back and really appreciate that message from Muhammad and uh, hope you have a really nice rest of the day. And uh, and now moving on, we have another piece of mail from uh, our good friend of the pod, uh, Gustavo. Um, I don't know how he would feel about having his full name read on the podcast, so we're not going to go ahead and do that. Um, sure. He knows he knows exactly. We know he's listening right now. Uh, good friend of the pod, subject line, uh, my local thing. Now, I'm going to go ahead and uh, warn our listeners that uh, Gustavo is uh, from Brazil. And uh, as is such, the Portuguese pronunciation of some of these words is going to be uh, a little alien to me, at least. So I'm going to go ahead and just pronounce them as I see fit. And we don't, we don't need any of the hate mail. We don't need any of the vitriol. We just need people to appreciate Gustavo's willingness to share his uh, local flavor with us. Uh, Anyway, he said, uh, Dear Stephen and Jared, what an honor it is to be writing to you too. Big fan right here. My favorite local thing is a uh, Feojada from Oro Preto and the local breweries from that region, especially Colorado Indica. What a treat. I hope you guys are well. Keep up the good work. You're number one fan. Now, I looked this up. Uh, Feojada? Fe- Fe- Feojada? F. 
E I. Yeah, you know, it's you got it. Feijoada. Thank you. Feijoada. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretend language. Um, <laughs> not even a real language. Not even a real language. Portuguese. Sick of it. Um, but no, I, I looked it up, and that sounds like a real treat. I don't know where I could get my hands on some of that. It's like a, it's like sort of a bean stew, sort of a bean in, in like smoked meat stew. Yeah, yeah, smoked meat bean stew. You actually, you actually, you get it places. But also, it's kind of a homemade thing. It sounded like it's I like guess. sort of a national dish. It's something, yeah. It's definitely yeah, like a homemade sure. thing, but it's something you can find. Or maybe you can't find it everywhere, but in in someone's house, that's a real staple. That's a real I've classic actually, meal. I've actually tried to make it once. Yeah. For the record. Any I've luck? I tried to make feijoada. I mean, I liked it, but I think it maybe missed. It missed something, probably. Well, because it's supposed to be like I didn't really smoke the meat. I didn't cook it for very long. What I ended up making was kind of just a. Chili. A chili. I mean, you're supposed. To, it's. I mean, yeah. It's you know, it's meat and black beans. Yeah. And you can make it with rice and kind of put that on top, mm-hmm. and then do uh, one of the big kind of fun, fun, fun uh, garnishes that add maybe the signature flavor. I'm not entirely sure. People can correct me on this. Is a little bit of cilantro. Ah, uh, but of course. And you kind of put that cilantro on top, and that turns. That that kind of adjusts it a little bit, or you rip you rip some cilantro, chop some up, and put it fresh on the top, and that it, you know that's what makes it not chili. You know yeah. what I mean? At least to my palate, to my taste. You can put a little you know cilantro I mean? on a little chili. I don't know. I think it's the smoked meat. I think it's the cured meat that you're supposed to do it with, like um, what like pancetta or so. I mean, you know that kind of. Thing. It's because it's pork and beef. A bunch of stuff. You can bunch do a stuff. bunch of stuff. I've heard well, it's I, flexible. Yeah, I saw. I, I mean, again, I'm just looking at a few different. I was looking at a few different recipes. I saw that um, sometimes it's just used with odds and ends. It's a it's a real like yeah. uh, like hot dog meat, not in a bad way, but you know, just like hmm. spam, whatever, whatever Sausages the fuck. And stuff. Yeah, just kind of lump it all. Which like, if it's good, it's good. Um, quick, quick, fun question. A little I mean, bit of trivia. Not pork though. We we wouldn't. You know. Think well, neither you, of us would be able to. Uh, you try to avoid it. You try to avoid it. Look, I look. I'll I'll slip up. I'll get me a little pepperoni slice every once in a while. What do you want me to say here? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's haram. Um, I don't want to hear that. Can uh, a little bit of fun trivia for you? Little little question for the fans. What sure. internationally is cilantro called? That's just a little cute. A little question for the fans. Hit our inbox to let us know what you think. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, if you don't have the answer, I will not be telling you. Now, here's the other thing. So I looked up the brewery. Um, I looked up. I looked up Colorado Indica. So it's actually part of um, it, the, the, the the so the the brewery is like Cerveceria Colorado, or how how you'd pronounce that with like the J's and stuff in Portuguese. But it's like a chain brewery, smaller chain brewery. They have like five or six, maybe more, six or seven locations in throughout Brazil. And I think they're mostly in like Sao Paulo and Rio, but it looked okay. cool. It's like an award-winning. So the Indica is an IPA and it seems like it's an award-winning brew, but they have a lot of really cool stuff, stuff that were, there's like a, maybe like a dried fruit added to the ferment. It's like a secondary ferment or um, some heavier stuff, but it's a, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You, you know, Gustavo better than I do friend of the pod Gustavo. Um, if, if he's sort of an IPA man, is he sort of a heavier beer boy? Your guess is as good as mine, uh, fans. Uh, anyway, yeah. I like. Anyway, I will say I like the the brewery. Looks very good. I was on their website. I was I was running it through Google Translate it too. I got te- a few. I like the logos. You know? I like the I like the little bear. 
I like the locations. They yeah, all seem very looks cool. They seem uh, modern without slipping into sort of the like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The like encompassing modern aesthetic of like just cold, cold white and like neon and like in, in this house we drink, you know, whatever dumb shit. Um, it looks cool though. I like the, I like the color palette. I like the locations. They seem very like neighborhood um, yeah, yeah. adjacent of, of bringing people together for a, a nice cold sip. And I saw that they won some kind of like international brewers cup um, in the sure. past couple of years for not for oh, the, the Indica, but for another one of their beers. Uh, anyway, I'll, suffice to say, I've tried to find it. That is not available in the U.S. That is, um, that is certainly, we're going to go again, give it that local flavor stamp of approval. Yeah, um, definitely. But, but, you know, um, looks suffice great. to say, it looks great. You know, love to hear from you guys. And of course, uh, Gustavo, when you listen to this, uh, if there is a way for you to order a large quantity or, or procure a large quantity and maybe send it to Steve and I, ship it. Uh, you know, we would love to talk more about the shipping procedure for uh, for something of that nature. Because look, I'm I'm always game. You mean for you mean talk logistics? I'm yeah. I'm looking to talk logistics. I'm looking okay. to talk okay. import export. I'm trying to get me a big crate of uh, a beer, a little Brazilian Colorado beer. Indica, a little Colorado Indica, uh, or the whole Colorado yeah. suite. I tried to order it on their website, but um, obviously they don't. They're not they don't ship to America. Okay. And the Dang. Brazilian uh, zip postal code layout is very interesting the sort of the questions they were asking me and what they were expecting of me to to have um oh yeah i mean it's, it seems like it, it seems like it ships very local it's like if you don't live within like the city limits it's not going to be available to you which maybe that's yeah you know what and if we can't get our hands on it maybe that's for the best you know in the oh. same way that we can't we can't ship far and wide any sort of local flavor of ours you know sure um sure. You know, I, uh, I I will say one thing I really appreciate about that. I was looking at the pictures and about Brazil in general. I will say color palettes, man. Oh, man. They do colors well. Yeah. They got good colors, man. Yeah. So that logo was nice. It's got that nice bright green, a little bit of kind of yellow gold in there. And then the writing was in red. I like, um, you know, I like Brazilian flags, a really good looking flag. Yeah. So this is sort of a little shout out to those graphic right. designers down in Brazil. I just like any sort of brand. Um, and I don't know, maybe this is a far cry from what we we're talking Actually, no, I think this kind of falls in line with what we were talking about advertising before. But I like a brand that isn't afraid to um, be a little more experimental with its graphic design, a little more playful, because I think that the market is so saturated. And look, I'm not, you know, what I was doing with Nominee, I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't contributing to that in some way. Um, I guess it was sort of like just found in the DIY thing, but you know, uh, I, I, I think that there's like a real market saturation with just, um, black and white oversimplified logos, unnecessarily simplified logos that might not match the brand, uh, identity in the same way that like most major corporations your Coca-Cola's your PepsiCo have been moving away from their classic logos that we all sort of grew up with. And, you know, and sure. there's another conversation to be had about, <laughs> how we feel about growing up with brands and, and that sort of like brand awareness right. throughout a life. But the logos that we, that we've always known, changing them to these very simplified, you know, lowercase letters, the, the sort of um, the best way I could put it would be the like tech adjacent or like Uber adjacent shift paradigm shift yeah. that's happened in advertising and, and corporate branding. Sure. So it's always, nice, it's and, always nice to see yeah. a company that's willing to go absolutely hog wild with like a, a very high saturation color vector image 
without it looking or feeling tacky or distasteful. I mean, it looks, it looks good for the brand. I would think the bottles are, they're going hog wild with the bottles. None of it feels uh, embarrassing in the way that some beers you definitely see can be. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, 10 out of 10. I love what they're doing. They're going crazy over there. I'm with you, Jared. And I got to say, before we get now, our next segment, of course, as you know, is talking about V. And that's our book of the week before we get into the weeds with Infinite Jest. But I just wanted to uh, <clears throat> piggyback on this idea of logos and marketing and brands. Sure. And I know you guys out there, you're listening and you know, you get it. You hear the, it's the same thing. It's all the same deal. It's all the same shtick. You know, Coca-Cola went from their classic look and now they've got Arial, Arial font, Arial yep. bold on a on a red background white font on a red background you know what i mean pepsi cola there is no more design in the ball it's a blue ball and it says you know comic sans pepsi in white white or gray font and i i know you guys out there you guys are freaking out because you're saying what the heck where are all my classic logos why is nothing Mm -hmm. in all caps anymore why is everything lowercase why are they changing the logo? Why do my why do my cookies not have writing on them? Why is there no design? But guess what? Guess what's here to save you? You know what's coming up. That's Oreo from Nabisco yes. Snacks. Yes. And so we just wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Nabisco, for their timeless classic Oreo. It's it's all caps. It's always gonna be. Okay. Yep. Nabisco's all caps. It's always going to be. You've got the design in the Oreo. You've got a hundred different flavors and they're coming out with a new one. And that's feijoada flavored yep. Oreo Yep. in stores next week. Yep. It'll be out there. Keep your eyes out for it. Thanks, Nabisco. We love you very much and everything you guys are doing. Thank you for the lifetime supply of feijoada Oreos. I'm eating them already and I love it. Thanks, guys. I mean, that's what that's what Oreo and the good people over at Nabisco Snackworks understand. And that's that people want a little savory with their sweet. They want something that is complex and as dy- as complex and as dynamic as their day-to-day busy lives. I mean, people live, Steve, you know this better than anyone. People lead very busy, uh, you know, uh, you know, doggy dog yeah. lives these days. And they need something that is going to keep up with their fast pace you know, extreme lifestyle. And that's why, I know. and that's the thing. They're not just rolling out the fish water. They're rolling out the mole, okay? People don't want to hear it, but they're going savory and sweet across the board, all right? Thank yeah. you so much again to Oreo. And um, if we can just take a step back from our sure. uh, from our good our good appreciation of the, the people of at Oreo. Um, Absolutely. One of the biggest injustices that I have to say uh, being done in in this sort of push towards uh, a, let's call it even like a, a DIY aesthetic and advertising is what they done, uh, what they done did to Paramount Pictures and the Universal logo. The Universal logo, as we all remember, big big globe circling around, and then the Universal logo coming by. Sure. When last I checked, black background, white stencil of a world, world Universal. Paramount Pictures, same thing. Oh. Used to be the mountain and the stars going overhead. Now it's just black background, white stencil of a mountain, paramount. And it's the same. It's right. It's not even Helvetica anymore. It's like, yeah, it's like Arial bold or it's some kind of sans serif font, just embarrassing and made more so embarrassing by the fact that these studios, as many studios are now want to are just cranking out 
shitty Marvel or DC movie after Marvel or DC movie. They're doing their Wonder Woman's. They're doing their their uh, Captain Americas. They're doing their um, I don't know Avengers or whatever these are. Hold and on, um, hold, on, hold on, cut, cut. Sorry, I have a sponsorship with Marvel, so we can't do that. Oh, you personally, you personally have a sponsorship yeah. with Marvel. Okay, for I'm what exactly? Sponsored exact? by Marvel. Yeah. Oh, for your other podcast for um, what was Marvel it again? Marvel Heads. Right. Right. So we got to cut that. A weekly discussion of all things Marvel and Marvel affiliated. Yeah. I mean, you actually, mostly Spider-Man. Yeah, what people don't see, because again, this is, a, this is an audio medium, what people don't see is the vast wall of Funko Pops that Steve has displayed behind him. Uh, all, I mean, he's gotten them all for free from the good people over at the Marvel Corporation. Thank you so much again to the Sony, Marvel, Disney uh, co-production and everything they've been able to do with uh, their, their very good films. Um, obviously, my critiques will be uh summarily uh silenced if an i2 can get that nice much like coca-cola that nice marvel uh sponsorship because look i'm not going to pretend like there isn't an empty shelf behind me that is uh desperately needing a couple funkos all right i need to be able to have my funko and drink my coca-cola freestyle too i need to be able to pour myself a nice but you know what the best coca-cola freestyle this is this is a a spicy one people don't want to hear this but when i used to have let's call it unfettered access to a Coca-Cola freestyle. I would go peach Sprite okay. or perhaps uh, lime Coca-Cola. Oh, People don't okay. want to hear it. People don't want to hear it. I never, and you know what? The lime? I would go for, I would go for a lime Coca-Cola. I would also, you know, what was also really good is you'd get the, um, you could make, I think you could make like a lemon Fanta. That was good. You okay. could also just add lemon or lime syrup to Sprite, which always felt kind of like redundant um it's a little weird little seems like it'd be too sweet if you just add soda syrup to sprite yeah i think uh well what was good about the peach and the grape is that it um it just tasted like pez the peach actually tasted like peach the grape just tasted like pez i think the reason why they're coca-cola freestyle machines and not pepsi freestyle machines is because i know personally that i couldn't be trusted with that much power and i don't think the vast majority of people can be trusted with that much power to make custom mountain dew and custom Dr. Pepper. I don't think people should be allowed to have that kind of access. Too much power. Too much power. Too much oh. power. I'm describing I'm describing a rare luxury of which even I abused. Right, right. But if you roll out custom Mountain Dew, you're opening up the doors to a whole cottage industry of people who claim you're going to open up. You're going to, you know, you do that within 24 hours. You have r slash Pepsi Freestyle Mountain Dew. And people yeah. are on there buying and selling high volumes right. of custom Mountain Dews that they've made with the Cook Freestyle. They're rolling out specialty recipes. They're rolling out the percentages of how and how, which ways to make yeah. these specialty yeah. Mountain Dews. Now, overnight, overnight, Pepsi right. stock, it, at first it shoots up, people buy all these machines and then it crashes because people say, here's the recipe right. for Code Red. Here's the recipe for Livewire. Here's the recipe for Pitch sure. Black. And that's the thing. People, at the end of the day, that's like a nuclear code. People cannot be trusted with the DIY recipe for Pitch Black. That's that's like opening Pandora's box. That's opening the gates to hell. Sure, you cannot sure. allow the American public that kind of access. Yeah, that's where you get dubay.com. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly where that comes yeah, from. D-E-W-B-A-Y.com. Oh you get dubay.com. Oh, my God. And I and love, I love booting up the... Recipes, recipes being bought and sold willy-nilly. 
you know? Yeah. I love opening up the Tor browser, making sure that my VPN is, is protected. I make sure that my IP address is protected. No one's going to DDoS me. The state, the state department won't DDoS me. And I, uh, and I boot up dubay.com and I see just this, the, you see in the reflection of my eyes, just green code sweat, you know, scrolling down the screen. I'm just going, you know, I'm hacking into the mainframe. Suddenly right. there's a, a, you know, a temperature, a climate cooled container at my <laughs> right. doorstep full of yeah, dew. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do want to add two things before we get into our story of the day. And that's, uh, uh, I only learned what a Tor browser was, I think, I don't know, maybe a week ago. Oh yeah. That's, that's thing number one. Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't know any, any of this. I didn't know, you know, come on. I can hardly even uh, figure out how to work a computer. Well, it's like, what are people like us going to use that for? I remember I found out about it in like 2010 or so, 2009, 2010. And uh, I downloaded it. And then I was kind of like informed of what you use it for. And I was like, I don't, I, I'm probably good then. <laughs> I guess mind. Tor browser is basically black market internet or whatever. I don't yeah. even know. It's like a protected I, I search. Someone yeah. someone tried to describe it to me and I'm sitting there like, because it just, none of it makes sense. I don't yeah. get it. You're hiking up your case, cotton dockers and you're tucking in your, your button up shirt right. and putting on your little beret and you're saying, I have no business here. <laughs> I, I, uh, I take the suspenders from my side and I flip them right over my shoulders yep. and I say, you know, one's red and one's green. And I say, adios muchachos, not for me. You're saying, Anyways, you're saying, thank God I'm a country boy. I have no business here. Well, uh, in any case, in any case, I, I, I also wanted to mention Another thing we got to be careful with, and luckily we're not sponsored by them yet. Uh, I, I know people who buy, no, maybe I don't. Yeah, no, I know. I've met a, I've met a person or people who buy SodaStream just to carbonate their water. <clears throat> just okay. since we were on the topic of soda. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. Just bicarbonated water then? Or? Yeah, I mean, that seems like know, a, a unnecessary weird, step. Like not yeah. even to make soda. Like it's a soda stream. Well, that's like a really Just weird function because water it's, in it. I don't. I think a soda stream. I don't know exactly how much they cost, but I'm. I believe they're like a hundred dollars, maybe a little more. And it's sort of like um, at that price point. What other kitchen appliances are you buying? You're buying like a blender or maybe like some other kind of like specialty tool. And normally the sure. point of that slap tool shot. is your <laughs> slap shot. No, the point of that tool is that you're saving yeah. money elsewhere. Like if you buy a nice blender at that price point. It's because you drink, you're drinking smoothies or juices out and about, and now you're seeing the savings rolling in, or you're buying a nice, I don't know, a, a, a nice knife, or you're buying, uh, I don't know, some kind of, yeah, some kind of tool where the savings start rolling in. But with the soda stream, the carbonation is never going to be as good as just buying, like even LaCroix, like just fucking like, you know, bottom dollar sparkling water, just buy the sparkling water. Also, it's not like you're, yeah, whatever whatever i think it's, i don't I get it i'm not stream. a big sparkling water guy so oh well this is the fi this is the only officially unlicensed sparkling water fan cast oh well then i'll you'll have to look for a new co-host because i'm gonna I'm go ahead and give people head. i'm gonna go ahead and give people the um the sparkling water power ranking as i see it i actually decarbonate my i put it through a, a decarbonation filter in i in my home lab yeah. and i decarbonate all my sodas so i basically just have coke juice yeah <laughs> Then you heat it up. You need to make sure you have a piping hot cup. <laughs> <laughs> you walk into the room, it just smells like death. You're going, you're blowing on it. Oh, too hot still. Oh, too hot still. 
Um, Basically, it's my prop coffee. Yeah. I decarbonate Coca-Cola, then heat it up and carry it around in a white mug that says, well, you know, something something like uh, world's best dad or whatever. Yeah. And and I go outside on my porch and I say, uh, what can I say? I'm having a nice cup of joe. You're walking around in a mug that says uh, Coke Fiend, but it's the Coca-Cola <laughs> font. And you take a big sip and you just immediately turn, you visually turn green and sallow. And you just go, like, and then you go, I'm okay. <laughs> it's the celery man thing. Yeah. I'll tell you. Um, that for some reason, there's something very, something very silly about that. It's like walking around with prop coffee, but it's actually decarbonated, yeah. warmed up cola. Well, like in movies, movies and TV where they don't, they don't fill the cups because they don't want the actors drinking that much liquid in a take. So they just leave the cups empty. And it's always so upsetting because you, you can tell that they're not drinking anything. You just replace all mock beverages, all fake beverages, all empty cups with hot decarbonated Coca-Cola. Right. You really cut down on the sips per minute. And that's a big sure. thing over here at David Foster Wallace and Gromit. We always SPM. cut down. Yeah, we're really big on SPM and, and, and making sure that we're keeping a low SPM. Um. Right. You want to talk about uh, the V? Let's get into the weeds with V. I tell you what. Let's first off, tell them a little bit about it. Give us the plot synopsis. I'll give you the plot synopsis. First of all, I do want to discuss, maybe this is something you, you were interested in and looked into, is the meaning of V. Yeah. Any thoughts? It's a... I read something about it being... The word for eyelids. Oh, I thought it was king of the gnomes. No, the creature, but I mean the yeah, word yeah. itself. It's eyelids? I believe so. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't investigate that. I took it at face value with the um, the footnote that said king, king of the gnomes. <laughs> it said bring out bring out the V, bring out the V, and then it's I just see that little three next to it. I go I go to the footnotes. I go, oh, king of the gnomes. Right. Okay, understandable, understandable. There were yeah. I will say in the story, the translation um was pretty good in that the vocabulary was pretty um i don't know dense expansive but there were a number of words in russian still that i guess couldn't translate where certain things might have been lost not anything of particular value but a certain scene where um the philosopher is with the the cossacks and and they're talking about a big bowl of hot blank is wheeled out and everyone, I, I highlighted this part because it said that everyone either protruded a, a, they pulled a wooden spoon from their pocket or a single prong wooden fork, which is just a spike. And then they, they dug into this food and it's like, okay, hold on. What hot food are you eating with both a spoon and a toothpick, a single wooden spike? And I thought, boy, would I love to know. Boy, would I love to know a little bit more about that grub. Probably something, something meat related. Probably something meat related. Maybe a soft yeah. meat, a spoonable meat. You know we go crazy for a spoonable meat on this podcast. Um, but no, go ahead and run us through the run us through the plot synopsis. Run us tell us let's let's start at the seminary. Tell us about the the theologian, the philosopher, the rhetorician, rhetor yeah, rhetorician, I guess. And the um who am I forgetting? Who am I forgetting? Who's at the beginning? Oh, and the uh, the grammarians, the, the theologian, and the rhetorician. Yeah, well, those are the three on their journey. But then there's also at the yeah. seminary you have the grammaricians or the grammarians. Excuse me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That. Anyways, opening, this, oh, sorry. I yeah, was just go gonna ahead, say. Go I was just gonna say that opening page is is great. 
that opening page is a real yeah. treat, especially describing the um, <laughs> the philosophers. Uh, what was it they they only had fragments of tobacco, never whole cakes of it. For what they could get a hold of, they used it once. They smelled so strongly of tobacco and brandy that a workman passing by them would often remain standing and sniffing with his nose in the air like a hound. <laughs> That's a real treat. Anyway, anyway, sorry. Let's uh, go ahead and give us that good, good old-fashioned plot synopsis. Yeah, let me just confirm something really quick. Uh, this is on Wikipedia, but in any case, uh, V, I guess, is glossaried in Ukrainian as eyelid. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I mean, and this is, I mean, this is a Ukrainian story. For all intents and purposes, we have to remember that I think this is, this is Ukraine that we're, what we're referring to. Is that, is that the explanation behind his description of the little Russia and the little Russians? That's what I was wondering as well. Or wouldn't that be Belarus then? Uh, no, Belarus is it's white, white, Russia. white Russia, white Russia. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you, I believe, I mean, Gogol was Ukrainian. I mean, he okay. was Russian, but in what is Ukraine? Yeah, also yeah. Kiev. Is right, Kiev. right, 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 right. That. So that's was, the city they're in. So they're boy, in I felt Ukraine. like a, I felt like a hunk at the very end of that, reading that for the last time and going, oh, duh. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So it's a Ukrainian story. But it's, a, I guess, it's a piece in a of, way. So I guess V does in fact mean eyelid. Yeah. But is it is a, it is a tale as old as time. And it is, uh, it oh, yeah. is a good piece of, as stated in the opening paragraph, Russian folklore that's only been relayed to, yeah. of course, uh, maybe we, uh, we, we missed talking about this. We read this week as our supplementary text to, of course, David Foster Wallace's uh, seminal classic, Infinite Jest. We read uh, Nicholas Gogol's uh, The V in, in his short story collection, um, I believe The Mantle and other works. Anyway, let's go crazy. Give us that plot synopsis. Yeah, it was originally published in a different collection that I don't remember the name of, but I, th I think it was something to the effect of Ukrainian stories, something. I'll double check that, check it in a second. But V is, is, it focuses on, at first, three focal characters, which are students, uh, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a seminary in Ukraine, and you have a, basically a student of, kind of, well, a student of theology, a student of philosophy, and then a student of rhetoric, rhetoric. Yeah, whatever that, whatever that necessarily is, I guess, in the modern age, we're not entirely sure, but it could be something like literature. I think I think the way it's broken something. up is you have the, the grammar students who are the youngest who are understanding language, you have the rhetoric students who are beginning to use the language conversationally and in discourse, the philosophers begin to develop their own opinions of discourse the, the the theologians then elaborate on that oh, to involve uh to take it out of the secular context okay yeah that's interesting yeah i, I guess i never uh, looked at it as tied to age but it makes well, sense he, he said that the what once you're a philosopher you're allowed to wear a mustache yeah that's the, right the rhetorician like couldn't grow one it, yeah he wasn't old enough to wear a mustache he wasn't old enough to to have a large yeah a large waxed black mustache he had a right. little tuft of hair, which I believe they're describing like a little, I, it depends on how like uh, ascetic this actually is. I think they're describing like a little tonsure, a little. Uh, yeah, it could be. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. The Ronaldo. Yeah. So we have the three boys. They're going on sort of a little journey. Right. So they go. Uh, and basically, basically the idea at the beginning is they go from town to town. 
singing or performing or in some way uh, contributing to the community. That's kind of mm -hmm. a task, let's say. Um, and it's usually in, in exchange for uh, uh, food or lodging or things like that. Basically, they stay out too late in desperate need of lodging uh, one night. And uh, they're far away from Kiev. And um, they are housed eventually with, with a bit of uh, struggle, let's say. They convince this old lady to house them. And the philosopher is, is uh, sought after in the middle of the night by this old lady who then, as he's running away, uh, rides on him, rides on his back, piggyback style, or rides on his shoulders maybe. And he undergoes a series of frightening, spooky uh, events uh, yeah. in terms of running away from this uh, this old woman who he devises in his mind. This is now a witch. Well, because this he, is a witch. He realizes that first he's he's paralyzed by her, the glowing eyes and the arms outstretched. <clears throat> and then once she hops on his back, he is like he's possessed once more. And his legs, he just takes off down the field. He's yeah, running right. like impossibly fast. He's seen these these fantastic sights. He's becoming aware of like a no moon. There's a sun in the sky. There are these creatures overhead. He's seen what the witch is choosing to show him before eventually kind of like through saying these prayers, bucking her off. Right. And he, he says he picks up like a cane or some kind of stick and just starts, and she's Beats running her. alongside him and just starts beating the shit out of her. Eventually, ostensibly, killing her but he sees instead not an old woman but a young woman shining in the moonlight and he's he's you know overtaken by her beauty just kind of leaves her bewitched there. bewitched and he and he right. disappears only to you know he's he basically just continues running back to kiev uh and uh and finds himself <clears throat> in a little tavern with his pipe and his brandy once more um right then he uh he is uh taken by the rector to find out that mm -hmm. he should be sent to a count, um, colonel, colonel. That was yeah. yeah. There we go. To be sent to a colonel and uh, perform the prayers for a young girl who has recently died, mm -hmm. and uh, he goes there, very lavish. No, I'm not maybe not so much lavish, but he goes to the house. Well, no, yeah, very lavish, very sprawling. The only thing, notably, yeah, it's very it's extensive. But, the only thing yeah. that's uh, derelict or, or dilapidated on the estate on this on this like large plot of land is the church. This like right, kind of burnt church. out church that that the, her body is being seen to in. Right, and anyways, so surprise, surprise, he recognizes that this dead girl is in fact the girl from the night before, mm -hmm. the witch. So effectively the story goes about in a circle and that is he uh, second guesses, wants to leave, ends up staying, says the prayer for the girl and then she effectively stands up to haunt him in a way and he's, he's saying these cantations of, of um, exorcism mm -hmm. and, and drawing himself into a chalk circle and uh chanting exorcism uh recitations and singing etc and this is to stave off the this witch okay 
he he comes out the next morning disheveled and frightened of course and it's basically the same story he uh he's upset he has a bottle of brandy <laughs> the guys convince him he goes back tries it again same thing happens then the last night he says no way i'm going back in there uh, by the way, sorry, this prayer ritual, I forgot to clarify, the prayer ritual is a three-night ordeal. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a three-night ordeal, pray over the the dead girl's body. Anyways, last night, or before the last night, he goes in, he says, you know, I'm running away. He goes to the colonel, he says, I can't do this, you know. And then the colonel is, like, threatening him. Yeah. Grumpy boy. Anyways, he tries to run away, he gets attacked by one of the uh one of the let's say workers yeah that uh, that have gone there with him i mean in the book it's described the cossacks but mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes they're kind of the workers <clears throat> in this case and goes in again same thing happens he's praying he prayed his way into a corner so to speak right. and, and, and by corner we mean circle Pray, prays his way into a circle does the usual business Everything is staved away, and she says, the witch says, bring in the V. And they bring in the V. And he's basically a hulking, nightmarish figure uh, with eyelids that reach to the ground. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, in, in spite of his better judgment not to look at the V, as the V is looking at him, the creatures lift his eyelids up off the ground, pull them back, and he looks at the V and the V looks at him. And the exorcism, the, uh, the let's say, the spiritual uh, warding off of the demons is lifted, and he is slung to death on the floor, attacked by the unearthly goblins and gooblins and creatures of yeah. the deep the dark mm -hmm. i don't know and that's basically the story it's uh you know it'll scare you it's it's a more yeah. so than a supernatural horror it's more a spiritual horror because right. it's a very specific supernatural horror it's very specific in within eastern orthodoxy everything i mean in the church the description of iconography everything revolving around uh, iconography and practice is very specifically spiritual horror in an Eastern Orthodox setting. So it's yeah. very, well, I, know, I, it's uh, a specific one. It gave me, it definitely gave me a fright. And I will say, I like, I like stories like this. I like a story of someone, um, you know, in above their depth. I also, sure. I also, yeah, very notably when, when the V has spotted him, when the V's eyelids lift, it's not the creatures that kill him. It's his own fright. He's finally overtaken That's by true. terror and the creatures don't hear a, a, a through line for these three nights is that the rooster crows and the creatures dissipate or the woman goes back in her tomb. But this yeah. third night, the creatures yeah. don't and the sun catches them and they are stuck in the church. So when the clergymen and the other Cossacks go to check on him in the morning, they see the dead creatures are all around. Everyone's dead. Everyone's stuck in the, in the cathedral. And, uh, yeah. and then it eventually ends with the, the rhetorician now made a philosopher and the theologian actually just waxing on this saying, Oh, did you hear what happened to uh, Thomas? And and they say, well, you know, everyone knows that every old woman is a witch, basically just this sort of like, not, it's not necessarily smug, but it is just sort of this cold detached nature of it. And I like, 
I, I like this sort of, I think a good way to put it is um, maybe like the, a, a fear or a, a fear, maybe not a fear of the secular, but kind of a, a, a cautionary tale of like secular trappings. The philosopher who had not quite been made a theologian yet, and the theologian who was so like, he was described as being a very uh, kind of morbid and depressed person, sort of softer, and he would he would go and get drunk and hide in a bush. And the philosopher was very jolly, and it was his sort of uh, naivety that was being tested. It was the philosopher who just wanted to smoke and drink all day, and now here he was being sequestered to be this kind of grand re- religious figure, and he was so out of his depth. And um, I think, yeah, I think it's an interesting sort of story. I mean, it, it did give me a little spook. I think that Google does a great job of describing and allowing the describing minimally and allowing the reader to fill in a lot of blanks because the most description we got about the witch would be you know oh her skin's green and she her teeth are chattering and her eyes glow but there's something about right. this the rest of the setting that really contributed to a, a much more frightening more chilling um depiction right but well, he uh, sets the stage of yeah. the church Mm-hmm. right because the church is the the one thing that's out of place that's just something back back to the iconography mm-hmm. you know if you can you know maybe you have to google image if you're listening and you're not quite sure eastern orthodox iconography but it's it some of it can be kind of disproportional in a way i don't know exactly what you know what what was there but kind of re- religious iconography or religious art in a dilapidated church is in and of itself kind of a sobering yeah yeah a sobering setting in a way uh of course that's what it's meant to do i guess Uh, but you know this idea of an old dilapidated church and uh he he also had to light each candle you know there's a bundle of candles sitting there for him at the beginning you know his first day and he has to go through and light all of the candles Mm. uh to to try and (laughs) keep it keep the keep the procedure yeah candles are also very important by the way in all orthodox in all eastern uh kind of these orthodox settings candles are very important you're supposed to by the way you're supposed to light a candle for the dead if you go into a church they have a sandbox basically an elevated sandbox and you're supposed to Either you bring your own, a lot of people bring their own, mm-hmm. or you can get one from the church. And they're these just long, I don't know, half an inch diameter. And then and they taper up to the top and they're these just right. long, dark yellow candles. And you and you stick them in and light them. And so the idea of I mean, the idea of this being a procedure is, you know the case that you have to kind of yourself illuminate yeah a church it is dark yeah you have to go through and illuminate it so i don't know necessarily the procedure the burial procedure for the dead but i do know that in fact this idea of you yourself or those who go in patrons or whatever it may be they're the ones that have to make the church light it's supposed to be dark so it's a very yeah, I mean, he gives a pretty nice ominous image. And then once the events start happening, you kind of get the drill and it's still scary because yeah. he's already set the stage. I think what's so good about that sort of um, depiction of ritual 
specifically for the story is that there's a an understanding that the author is portraying or maybe explaining to the the reader i mean i, I guess it really depends on where they were in terms of um the secularism uh in in society in russia at the point in time because what we're sort of seeing here is yeah you're right you do you are going through and you're lighting the candles but what is depicted is empty ritual i mean he's not doing the prayers right. because sure. he believes he's doing the prayers because it's clear that it wards them off he's lighting the candles because he's afraid of the dark he's constantly trying to run right. away it's not just someone in above their depth it's someone who is the epitomization of a, a growing secular society someone who's content as the philosopher who's not interested in the religious aspect of orthodoxy um of of the seminary and is now finding themselves more interested in just telling these tales about the witch and and hoping to get themselves their thousand ducats and and mosey on home so i think that sort of spiritual removal or maybe spiritual emptiness is a good cautionary tale in the same way that then at the end the the new philosopher and the theologian speak so so coldly of him it's like yeah it's obviously right. he didn't he didn't understand he didn't believe um i think that it's a it's a curious story potentially if you factor in the angle of him laying in the hay and the old woman coming to him and maybe this sort of implicit like uh oh you know what's uh what's going on here and then for her to turn it in maybe not quite in like a sexual manner but in sort of like a a more com maybe comedic manner i don't know and then as she's turned into the young woman being again sort of bewitched by her beauty so this is someone who is completely engrossed in secular trappings someone who is sure. like removed entirely from the seminary so right. i don't know maybe a cautionary tale it really depends on you know i'm not one to say what gogol's views were but it definitely paints a picture of the youth of russia or ukraine at that point in time as they've removed themselves from the church and obviously um the colonel the colonel removing himself from the church. I mean, this this incredibly dilapidated church in the middle of this much larger, yeah, I mean, maybe not lavish by our understanding, but at the time, certainly expansive, ornate estate. You know, many, many housekeepers and, and these luxurious meals and all this brandy and and yet even still this burnt out church. So I think I like, you know, like I said, I like a cautionary tale. I like a tale of someone who's in above their depth. I like uh, spiritual emptiness, desolation. For sure. Um, I, I'd give it a... I'd give it a solid like a eight out of ten. It's a good spook. It's aged well. Yeah, it's a good. It's a fun. And time. I guess, sorry about that. And I guess based on the time period too, where we are looking at uh, this, this maybe I mean maybe we've maybe we haven't hit on the 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 types of stories, the cautionary tale of removal from the church and stuff like that. But that's kind of a theme. In a yeah. lot of Russian cautionary, in a lot of Russian literature, mm -hmm. maybe we'll have to see what uh, you know who brings exactly, next week. exactly. Well, I mean, we've definitely touched on it with um, Haji Murat and uh, the death of Ivan Milich. Oh, yeah. Is this sort of because yeah. it's not just about secularism as it pertains to a removal from orthodoxy, but secularism as it pertains to a removal from ritual? Because obviously, the Catholic Church it still carries a lot of these rituals to this day, and it's it's not adhering to or revering ritual in that same capacity and walking yourself through the motions for a selfish means. And I guess that's the big takeaway here is that he fell victim to the V because he was weak of faith and weak. I mean, he was, I mean, I, I think anyone's going to be uh, pretty cowardly in the face of a, a chattering teeth, witch, but he was still and a cowardly and host of uh, creatures. Ghouls, ghouls and goblins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh but no, yeah, I think it'll be interesting as we kind of progress through Russian 
um, you know, Russian literature, romantic literature, to see sort of the ways in which that kind of removal from orthodoxy is depicted. Um, anyway, I yeah. mean, we've, we've run... And, oh, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, and that's just something else to note with respect to, I mean, what I was mentioning about literature, uh, not literature, ritual, ritual as well. Uh, and uh, it's... Uh, I mean, if you go around, for example, Eastern Europe, by and large, uh, and, and this is nothing to say about the morality or secularism or anything like that. I'm not trying to diagnose a culture change or any, yeah. a paradigm shift in culture uh, in, in reflection of, of uh, secularism or a more secularized orthodoxy or whatever it may be. But you will find uh, that in general, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these locations, a lot of these sites, these very, very artistically ornate churches. Yeah. Just, I mean, there are stories. They commission <clears throat> professional artists from the whole region. Yeah. To paint the murals. Paint the frescoes. Yeah. Right. The big they, like wooden reliefs. They yeah. commission just the most talented artistic and architectural people. And I mean, these days it's a site or it's empty. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. I, th I don't think. I mean, in Eastern Europe, obviously they've been very well preserved for the most part. What wasn't destroyed oh, in World sure. War II, uh, I think, has been preserved very well. But um, the Eastern Orthodox or even Orthodox cathedrals in America, I think, are one few and far between, but they don't have the same sort of talent and attention to detail. But look, I go absolutely yeah. nuts for that kind of crap. Are you kidding me? Especially, and I will say they have the, in my opinion, the best in their paintings and their, in their reliefs, the best depiction of Christ. Because, and same with like the Middle Ages, those ones you'd see from like the 13, 1400s, um, because it's the most... I guess like humble in that sort of artistic style. It feels the most humble. Yeah, yeah. Um, you still have the the halos and you still have all the other like um, signifiers of, of a deity and of, of sainthood and sure. what have you. But there's something about the almost like, it's not like the very two dimensional nature of it. Yeah. That yeah. feels a lot more humble and a lot more respectful because it's not about artistic interpretation in motion. It's about like, I, it, it feels necessary. It feels like the artist was compelled yeah. to, to create this. It's more symbolic. Yeah. It feels, it feels a lot more, um, it feels a lot more detached from the artist, which I think is important when you talk about yeah. uh, religious yeah. iconography. Yeah. But then again, that's I think there's also a place for like the Sistine Chapel and everything in like Catholicism that's, that's done by a very specific yeah. artist, because then it's about someone who is in their own way, I, again, if you if you're if you're adherent or, or a believer in any of these things, it feels like someone who was potentially touched in their own way. It's like I I I am now compelled to make this singular vision of of religion sure. as I understand it. Um, sure. Anyway, we've we've run super long flavors, two yeah. different sides of the same coin, and also I I, I just wanted to say, yeah. whenever you go to a country, whenever I travel or whatever, or go somewhere. If it's with someone, if they know the lay of the land, if it's their neck of the woods, I always say, take me to your, you know, take me to, I want five cool churches. Yeah. I want, I want, 
Cathedrals, monasteries, mosques, I don't care. Take me to your churches. Show me the cool stuff. You know where we got to go. go. Bada bing, bada boom. Next time you're uh, next time you're around here, we got to go over to I don't I forget the name, but there is a uh, there's a Russian Orthodox cathedral. Oh, yeah, in downtown Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In uh, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. There's that one too. Well, I guess it depends on what you consider downtown. There is the very ornate one, like act like right downtown off like University, but there's one in in Maybe that's what I'm thinking. like South Lake Union kind of that has the big gold dome and everything, and it's been there forever, you know, probably like a hundred years or so. Um, stuff. But I think I think Love services it. are exclusively in Russian, so I don't know. Good. I mean, I yeah, I'm oh good for sure, but I'm not going to be participating. I'm not going to poke right. my head in to be an asshole who's like, oh, I don't, sorry, I don't know what's going on. Oh, I just want, oh, I just want to see, I just want to check it out. Be a little, a little, uh, you know, a little fly on the wall. Sure. Um, well, whatever floats your boat, you know. Oh, look, I'm all about getting my boat floated. Anyway, we're at an hour and ten minutes. Um, sure. So it looks like I once understand. again, yeah, unfortunately, we're going to have to maybe we'll do a, a, a little B side to this episode discussing David Foster Wallace's seminal classic Infinite Jest in our selected reading. But for now, Steve, do you want to tell them what we're going to be reading next week for our uh, our supplemental uh, novella or short story? Yeah, yeah. Next week, we're going to be checking out uh, Alexander Pushkin. Yes, we'll be reading. So this week was two shorts, Nikolai Gogol. And, and uh, next week. Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say we will be returning to Gogol and uh, Pynchon probably at one point or another. Right now, sure. we're we're going through sort of a a short story phase where we're reading yeah. one or two, and uh, it's good to keep these collections in mind whenever we maybe feel it appropriate. Maybe come summertime, maybe a change into the seasons feel it appropriate to return. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry, yeah. we're we're reading two Pushkin selections. You want to go ahead and rattle those off? Pushkin selections, and that's the shot in the blizzard. Yes. Yes. So for next week, we're kind going to be reading two. influential short fiction from Alexander Pushkin. Yes, yes. One of the most influential Russian writers of all time. Of and again, um, for anyone listening, be sure, to, be sure to shoot us an email at davidfosterwallaceandgromit at gmail.com. We would love to hear your local flavor, for starters. We'd love to, yeah. to read a couple more of those on pod, hear what people are, are imbibing, sipping, and eating. Uh, and also maybe even like an interesting cultural... Well, I don't want to open it up too wide. It does just stick to eating and drinking because I think that's something that everyone can really go uh, N-U-T-Z for. Uh, but and also book recommendations. And exactly, and book recommendations, especially from our international listeners, from people who might have a, a more, you know, uh, may, might be more clued in or tapped into the culture. All we ask is that they be accessible in either an ebook or a PDF, something that is downloadable. Shoot us a link um, because a big part of this podcast is making sure that people listening at home have ready access to the material. I don't think we've ever like really had to dig for something we've read. Everything we've right. read has been, you could do a quick Google, whatever PDF, it's either going to be available through Internet Archive or the Guggenheim project or what have you. These Gutenberg, are- but yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh yeah, Guggenheim's museum. Project, project Gutenberg, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oops, gave him a little goof. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Maybe we'll get a suggestion from Machado de Assis. I know our Brazilian fans are going to know who that is. Thanks guys. Thanks, guys. Uh, all right, be sure to shoot us an email, and we'll be back next week with a little uh, Pushkin double feature. Bye-bye now. All right, bye-bye. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Новой великой державы, новой великой державы.
державен.